RadioInfluence.com. As America's zone coach, premier thought leader, and the world's number one coach of champions, Jim Fannin is the go-to person. He has guided the careers of the best pro athletes from 10 sports and business executives from 50 industries. He has coached individuals, families, relationships, and students in simplifying and balancing their lives for more than 40 years. From winning Wimbledon, the World Series, and a gold medal, to losing 68 pounds, saving lost marriages, or overcoming financial ruin, Jim Fannin has been behind the scenes guiding individuals through the intricate process of peak performance. His success tools are not just for the superstar. They're designed to help you reach your full potential as you tap into life's most successful mindset, the zone. And now, please welcome the coach of champions and America's zone coach, Jim Fannin. Hello, everyone. This is Jim Fannin. Welcome to the Jim Fannin Show. And I've got my producer sidekick, Seth Hurd. This is a really special one. We're going to have some fun today. Dave Hudgens joins us, the hitting coach for the Houston Astros. So wherever you're at in life, whatever you're doing, you know, soccer mom to CEO and anywhere in between, you want to know how to perform under pressure, how to help your family members perform under pressure. There's no better place to get some tidbits on that than from the guy that just led the team through as much pressure as you can get in one of the most nail-biting World Series that just sucked the nation in. Even people that don't watch baseball are like, oh, yeah, I, wa- I watch that. I- how can you not watch that? Oh, yeah, it's going to be fun. I've known Dave for a long time. World champion Houston Astros, uh, the hitting coach for the best offensive team in baseball. That's going to be fun. We always start out by getting into uh, checking out who's getting into the zone, and then we're going to get into some tools before the interview. I'm actually going to kick off here with Lynn manuel Miranda. You probably know the guy's name because he's been called even the modern Shakespeare, like the Shakespeare of our time. Uh, the, the musical Hamilton, which I'm actually going to get a chance to see coming up here the Sunday after Thanksgiving. Excited out of my mind. You know, the the guy wrote a musical that's now running in three American cities and in London, and has done. You know, uh, and no, no extra ticket. I mean, what's he doing? <laughs> no, oh, wow. Wow. Seth's going to Hamilton. Okay, that's all right. We'll talk about that off the air. Believe it or not. I'm I want to get in the zone in Hamilton. in Hamilton. Believe it or not, these tickets sell out so far in advance, you and I hadn't even met. I mean, it takes almost a year to get into this thing. All right, you're off the hook. <laughs> so Lin-Manuel Miranda is from Puerto Rico. Obviously they've been through some devastation and man, you want to talk about somebody who's stepping up to, to help out. He got 25 different artists together to record an all Spanish song and took that to the top 40 in radio on the pop charts, uh, you know, to raise a ton of money. And he said that, you know, my job is to write the next Hamilton, the next big musical, but that's my next job. My current job is to help out the people where I'm from. And when I'm done with that, I'm going to go back to writing. And I, man, I just really impressed and really inspired to want to go do more to help people because he's in the zone. Really cool. Kudos to him. And uh, boy, that's great that he's helping Puerto Rico. And I've got so many friends down there talk about devastation. It's still, still not in the zone. But the spirit of the Puerto Rican people, uh, you know, I was there eight years Every month but December, one week a month, eight years in a row, coaching the top companies and top athletes in Puerto Rico. So I have an affinity 
for the Puerto Ricans. And man, the spirit there is amazing. So to see a Puerto Rican come back to help uh, uh, Puerto Rico, it, it's really uh, inspiring, to say the least. Every month but December, you couldn't talk them into celebrating Christmas in July, so you could leave Chicago when it was cold. <laughs> well, well <laughs> December, they, they let me off the hook. I didn't have to go. I'll tell you who else is in the zone. Northwestern Medicine is in the zone. Amyotrophic lateral sclerosis. Now, that's often, uh, it's a horrible disease. It's called ALS or the Lou Gehrig's disease. It's fatal. It's a neurogenerative disease. It paralyzes its victims. So it is a tragic disease if someone has that. And for decades, forever, the underlying disease process, it's eluded scientists. And Northwestern, you're in the zone for the first time identified a common cause of all forms of ALS. And uh, it's possible that we're going to have a cure for ALS. That's in the zone, and that's exciting. Because at the risk of pointing out the really obvious... You can't work on a a cure if you don't know what's going on. I mean, ALS, it's crazy to think that this has been a mystery disease basically for decades. And now we have the the possibility to work on something that has caused, you know, just an untold amount of human suffering. Man, those guys really, really. And, and, you know, scientists uh, such as zone performers, can you imagine locked in a lab with a mission to find something that has been improbable to fix? improbable, unlikely to find a cure, so many studies, and they spend an inordinate amount of time uh, researching, testing, double testing, triple testing, and then to finally find the underlying cause. What a zone moment. So our hats are off to Northwestern Medicine. Congratulations. You know what, Jim? This isn't the focus of today's show, but I want to do a really quick aside on a tool that you've mentioned before, because I think this fits in really well. Scientists, like you said, they are locked away. They are grinding out their work. In previous episodes, you've talked about every single one of your clients, you know, people across professional sports, entertainment, business. You make them call and record a commercial for themselves onto your cell phone. And then sometimes you say, ah, why don't don't you do that one again? Uh, You're not not there yet. I I do. It's one of the things they dread. uh, Every client that I've had since the invention of the cell phone (laughs) has called into my cell phone, left a message, 60-second commercial on the awesomeness of themselves. So they would start off, my name is, and I am, almost like they're running for some kind of office, and, and they're doing this broadcast to the universe, and it's really selling them on themselves. And, uh, and then they hang up. I listen to it, call them back, tell them that, you know, I'm blown away. That's impressive. Or uh, do it over. Not enough passion, not enough uh, detail uh, of what makes you the champion that you are. And uh, so every client's done this process. I, I think the hardest sales job on the planet is selling you on you. And just if you are in a job where you're, you know, kind of locked away, so to speak, and you're expected to perform, do you recommend that people actually like kind of do that out loud as they're driving to work? Uh, Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I I mean, you know, I needed, I didn't want 
40 some years ago, I needed 700 grand. I think I even mentioned this possibly on the yeah, show which, before. by the way, 47 years ago, uh, was 40 some years ago, that was a lot more money than 700 grand is today. A lot more. Oh, it was a ton. It was a ton. And my house was affixed to it. And, and so a, a bank uh, loan fell through. I had 30 days uh, to raise this money, which I thought, you know, I, I, it was in the bank already three years. You know, back then you could shake a banker's hand. It, it was a done deal. Now they take blood and your, <laughs> your children and everything else they do. But I needed this money. I didn't want it. I didn't wish for it. And I started doing this 60-second commercial around the block at night. People, I'm sure, thought I was nuts talking out loud to some you know, banker uh, about how awesome uh, this tennis club that I own, sports club that I own, and uh, what the benefit was. And I saw uh, 43 banks, 42 of them gave me a no in 30 days. And if I hadn't have raised this money, I was not only going to lose the club, but also I'd bought all the furniture fixtures in the business for uh, 350 grand. That's going to be gone. That's out the door. So it's kind of a deferred closing kind of deal. But uh, the bottom line is uh, 30 days later, the 43rd bank says, absolutely. And the irony of that is the profit and loss statement that was presented to 42 banks well, it was the same from the first to the 43rd bank. So what changed? I changed. And my passion changed. My confidence changed. And I convinced the bank to uh, not only loan me that money, but I also walked out with a quarter of a million dollar sales contract coaching the bank. So, uh, <laughs> you know. I didn't know that part. Yeah, that's a little, that was a little bonus. And, um, and I still work for that bank today. I'm not going to mention who it is. But 40-some years later, I mean, you know, they're still a client. Well, just to help you get over the hump here, if you feel like, ah, I just feel like I would feel silly if I'm walking around my block, you know, saying whatever my mission statement is, pro athletes do it, and it works, so Well, see, I've got CEOs of some of the biggest companies in the world selling themselves on themselves. You know, I I am the leader this company's been waiting on, and... um, I think you really need to hone your own little 60-second elevator pitch on who you are, what you stand for, and what what separates you from good to great. And um, again, the toughest thing to sell is selling you on you. The Zone, if you've just found us because somebody has shared this show with you, which, by the way, if you're getting something out of the Jim Fannin show, your life looks different, you're more confident, you're performing better, your relationships are better. Pass it on. Pass it on. Pass it on. Because, man, we're getting stories regularly of, hey, my life looks different because somebody handed this thing off. So go ahead and copy that iTunes link or wherever you're grabbing podcasts or just tell somebody you got to go find this show because it, it's going to make a difference. Can we just do a 10 second on the zone as well? Yeah, yeah. The, zone, the zone is it's a real phenomenon. It's not just mental. It's also physical. But when you get into that mindset, of a purposeful calm, you, there's five elements that are intangibles that you actually possess at a high level. First, you're extremely disciplined. You have self-discipline, well-defined blueprint, uh, well-defined goals, measurable. Second, you have concentration. You can put on blinders. You're locked in on one thing, and, and you're just full of energy mentally and physical, 
on the task that leads to that goal. Third, amazing confidence, trust, optimism, belief, expectancy that the goal can and will be achieved and the vision will be reached. Fourth, while you're focused and while you're disciplined, you also have a a large amount of relaxation. Jaws unhinged, bodies relaxed, breathing is lower, deeper, longer inhales, longer exhales. And then the fifth ingredient, which really kicks in some dopamine into the bloodstream, that fifth ingredient is enjoyment. You got to love what you do. You got to do what you love. And, and even if you're in a tough situation that's not fun to be in, uh, just the challenge of overcoming those obstacles and meeting that adversity, there is enjoyment there of achieving that. Self-discipline, concentration, optimism, relaxation, enjoyment, those five intangibles, Seth, they trigger chemicals, cortisol, glycogen, adrenaline, dopamine, serotonin, endorphins, all into the bloodstream, a chemical cocktail, fuel injected. And when that happens, you got more strength, more endurance, you're less emotional, you have more reason over emotion. Uh, your eyes literally double, triple shutter speed uh, to make everything seem like it's in slow motion. Uh, but you're very relaxed, very purposeful, and when you're in it, your full potential rises to the surface. And that's a place where this is not just for the superstar athlete. It's not. It's for anybody. The zone's in you right this second, and with free will, with a few tools. And the score system, which has been proven over five decades, you can attract this mindset. And when you do, more money, better relationships, uh, better parenting, and better results. So uh, as far as I'm concerned, the zone, oh man, that's the only, only place to be. We're talking about teams in the zone. Dave Hudgens from, you know, the Houston Astros, of course, coming up. But I can already kind of hear the question coming back of, well, I can see how I can get in the zone. You know, I can breathe deeply. I can follow these proven tools. But I manage eight people and you know, one of them is is difficult or I'm, you know, recently remarried and I've got a, a stepchild that, uh, you know, and my kids that are, are butting heads. And those are teams, right? Th- those are teams. And, you know, it's not well, just let's the face Chicago it, they, Bulls that are teams. Well, let's face it. These are most important teams and, and, and these are spheres of influence that, you can influence or not influence. Let's let's talk about a, a company. First of all, if you do have eight reports or you've got four key people, and you're in a department, you're in a division, or it's a small business, on the top of a blank sheet of paper, write S-C-O-R-E so that there's columns. To the left of the paper, with initials or first names, Write down those key people. doesn't matter how many you have. At the bottom of that list, uh, you're going to draw a line, and you're going to give each person a number on 1 to 10. So the first person, let's say it's Seth, okay? So Seth, I need to look at self-discipline, and I'm going to evaluate your self-discipline. Goals, patience, strategy, tactics. How disciplined are you? Let's say I give you a nine, all right? And I give somebody else a seven, a six, all the way down. And I'm going to have a total for 
everybody on my team of what that self-discipline level is. Then you go to concentration. How's their focus? Are they easily disturbed? Do they have too many balls in there? Do they get easily distracted? You know, do I always have to pull them back in? Do I catch them on their computer doing things they shouldn't be doing? Maybe playing a video game. That's, <laughs> you know, that's low concentration. All right, I'm going to give you a five. And I, I, I make that column under concentration. Optimism. Who's confident? Who is the most confident? No matter what happens. Well, I'm going to give them an eight, nine, or a 10, and someone that's shy and can't look anybody in the eye and doesn't say anything in a meeting, you know, they've got their hand over their mouth, but maybe they want to say it, but they don't have the optimism or confidence to say it. I got to give them a low mark. And now I'm going to total up the optimism column. Then you go to relaxation, one to 10. Who's cool in a crisis? Who's the palm tree in a psychological hurricane? Well, if they're cool, I'm, I may give you eight or nine, but you know, if you're stressed, you're biting your nails, you're worried, you can read a body language when someone has low relaxation. You know, they're stressed out. You're going to get a low number. And then last, who's the passionate one on your team? Who's got the enthusiasm, you know? Give them an eight or nine, or who's the dullard, you know, that brings everybody down? At the bottom, you're going to see collectively the score level of your team. Your team has a score level made up on the premise that every human on the planet has a high or low level of self-discipline, concentration, optimism, relaxation, and enjoyment. And then when you go across of Seth, I'm going to give you a number across. I'll take your nine for self-discipline all the way to your 10 for enjoyment. I'll add that up. You could possibly have 50 uh, points, if you will. You're going to see which element of score your team needs. And as a leader, as the patriarch or matriarch of your family, well, you need to get that on a high level with yourself so that you can pull up everyone. Find the weakest link on your team, not the person, but what that person needs. And there's one more thing about getting a team in the zone. If you've got someone that's they're late, uh, their productivity is up and down, inconsistent, uh, they're easily distracted, and I'm like, oh my gosh, this guy's terrible. I start thinking negative about that person based on what I'm observing. I'm judging that person. If you do that as a leader, the odds are you're not going to help them. They're, they're you're not going to help meet them. your expectation. I mean, if, if you're yeah. talking to them like, oh man, this guy again, they're probably going to rise I, to that low I've level. Had, I've had discussions with parents talking negative about their kid. You know, my kid's a slacker. You know, he never does his homework. A great teacher sees an A student when the person's actually failing. A great coach sees an all-star when everybody else says, this guy shouldn't even be playing in the game. So you got to visualize and see what you want, understand the missing link so you can specifically work on that one area. And uh, that's what great influencers do. And, and let's, again, make it clear, a manipulator is win-lose. I'm going to win, and I'm controlling you. you. You might be losing. 
An influencer and a great leader is win-win. But I have to see you as if, if it's so. I need to see you as it will be as a great achiever. And that's really how great coaches uh, like Dave Hudgens uh, that we're going to talk to uh, turns players that he didn't think were going to be that great that year into unbelievable superstars. And he's got someone he's going to reveal that the organization statistically didn't think this player was going to be amazing. He was a 240 hitter, lifetime, and he hit 300. All-star numbers led his team in RBIs. I'll let Dave talk about that, but that's what great coaches do. Get your team in the zone. It's contagious, very contagious. And this is such a game changer because, you know, I've heard immature managers, when I was in the corporate world before I worked for myself, right, uh, say, oh, man, you know, Sally just doesn't have what it takes. And I would push back and be like, well, that doesn't mean anything. I understand you're frustrated. Totally. You obviously you're frustrated. And- well, I think if you think like that, number one, you've hired poorly or you've trained poorly. I mean, if yeah. someone leaves the company or you have to fire them, you got to look at the people that hired her and the people that trained her. Those those are the losers, really. It's not the person. You, you know, you hired them poorly, you trained them poorly. But uh, I, I want to talk about one other entity that's in the zone, and that's. Some of our listeners, we have been getting some feedback about how people have been doing some pretty amazing things. Uh, Just got feedback from a gentleman uh, this morning, 75 years old, came out of brain surgery, remarkable recovery, no trace of it, and he's been listening to some CDs, he's been listening to our podcast, and he's just grabbing hold of anything positive. And if anybody's going to be negative, it's somebody that has, uh, you know, serious uh, stage four brain cancer. And um, so kudos to him. And um, Ed, if you're listening, I'm talking to you, Ed. I'm talking <laughs> to you. I'm excited about Dave Hudgens. If we can set this up a little bit. So the Houston Astros lost, what was it, like 200 games? To If you combine well, their two worst years? Uh, well... Three years in a row, they lost over 100 games, and the worst record that they ever had, they lost 111 games. And this is right before Dave Hudgens uh, came over to the Astros. And I, I can't imagine, you know, first of all, baseball's grueling anyway, but to lose 100 games in the heat, on the road, very few days off, oh my goodness, that's, that's depressing. And it's uh, that losing way is just as contagious as the winning way. So I'm excited about having Dave on the air. Uh, Dave is a hitting coach. Uh, His team, uh, as we'll talk about, 282 batting average, first in the league, 1,581 hits, number one in baseball, 896 runs, number one in baseball, uh, almost a 35% on-base percentage, number one in baseball. And they were number two in home runs, uh, just behind the Yankees uh, with three home runs. What an offensive juggernaut, the Houston Astros. And uh, I'm looking forward to having my good friend, Dave Hudgens, on the air. 
Well, I'd like to bring on a special guest, uh, a friend of mine, uh, one of the best, if not the best, hitting coaches on this planet, and uh, arguably he is the best, period, uh, with all the statistics. Dave Hutchins from the Houston Astros World Champions 2017. Hey, Dave, welcome to the Jim Fannin Show. Great to be with you, Jim. Thanks for having me. It's always a pleasure. Hey, Dave, this is a, this is a special show. We're, we're talking about the zone. We're talking about a flow of energy. Uh, but we're also, we've been talking in last week and, and this week, reinvention. So, you know, I met you when you were with the New York Mets. And, of course, while you were with the Mets, the Astros were uh, – uh, really the epitome of a losing franchise. I was actually coached a few players when they were losing over 100 games. So in a three-year span, lost over 300 games. I can't even imagine how depressing that is to be involved in a 100-loss season. And then all of a sudden, you know, you get there, the team uh, has some awesome draft choices, and you went from uh, losers to the best in the world. And this was done in a really short amount of time. How did this happen? And I, I know things start at the top, but right. you saw that transformation from a losing team into a winning team. Tell me in your words how this happened. How do you go from a loser to a winner that quick? Well, well I think you're right. It starts at the top. It starts with the ownership. Uh, Jim Crane bought the team and, we brought in uh, Jeff Luno uh, from St. Louis, who's the uh, kind of the architect of putting everything together. And he, he had a plan, and they, they stuck to it. You know, they didn't waver from it. Uh, they tore everything down, you know, got rid of all the higher-priced um, uh, players that they had on the team because they knew with those players it just wasn't going anywhere. So they decided to break everything down and kind of start from scratch. And they had a great plan. And what, what's impressive about their plan is they stuck to it, even through those, like you're talking about those hundred lost seasons, they stuck to their guns. They stuck to the plan. They started drafting well, developing well, you know, when you get guys like uh, Jose Altuve and Carlos Correa, then you get George Springer and Alex Bregman, Lance McCullers, you know, um, uh, Keiko you know, was in the system. They had they had some young players in the system. Yep, like the Springer George, George Springer, and they had you know Altuve had signed. They were being developed, and so they had some guys in the system. But they've done a really good job at the top, the drafting and the player development to uh, to get us to this point. You know, in um, in what 2015. We were the wild card. We won the wild card and came within a couple outs of beating Kansas City. This was two years ago. And I think we were playing really well, but we weren't probably quite ready for the next step. Um, last year, we had a winning season, but, you know, came up a little bit short for the playoffs. And then this year, uh, we kind of started putting it all together. You know, there, we had a good core group of players. And then they went out, uh, the journey, you know, Jeff went out and got, uh, Josh Reddy, Brian McCann, um, and some veteran players, Carlos Beltran, and as well as during the year, they brought in Justin Verlander, which kind of got us over the top. So, well, I and, think it was and, a all, plan. And, and also, you know, uh, uh, this really correlates with the new book I've got coming out called The Blueprint. Nothing great happens without a blueprint. 
So they have a blueprint, probably in writing, from top all the way down to single A, rookie ball, uh, developing players. You all developed most of your players. I know you picked up a, a lot of pieces. But then they bring Alex Cora in. They bring you in. And things really, especially when you came in, the offense changed. And I'm always intrigued about, I, I think baseball has the worst season of any sport on the planet. 200 games when you count playoffs, spring training, 162. I mean, it's, it's pretty brutal. People don't realize how brutal it really is. I know you can attest to that. And obviously on a day off, you're traveling. So that's not much of a day off. So I'm really interested in when you came in in 2015, uh, how do you keep that line positive of players one through nine in the lineup? How do you keep it moving? You've got different personalities, uh, speak different languages, uh, come from different places all, all over the place. And uh, here's Dave Hudgens. Uh, and you're a lefty, I think. You, I think you hit left-handed. You uh, threw left-handed. Uh, you know, I said, I'm lefty, too. You know, we, we've got a little chip loose of le- lefties from, from growing up. What was your biggest challenge when you got there? You knew you had some good players, but what was your biggest challenge? From the well, you can see, yeah, you can see they had some really talented young players. Uh, as soon as I got here, it was uh, a little bit different than was with the Mets, where they were developing pitching. Here, they were really focused and concentrating on developing a good core group of players and. I think it starts with talent. You know, these guys can see that. Obviously, they have talent, athletic, young, fast, energetic. Um, you know, they very one of your points of optimism, the very optimistic group, no matter what they were going through, they always knew they could do better. And they never, you know, never any negativity, never negative. Just, you know, getting to spring training early, working hard, trying to get better. And it, and trying to figure out what they need to do to get better. And with the kind of ability that most of these guys have, you know, they're able to make those adjustments. And I, I think it starts with, with the top, with A.J. Hinch coming on. He, he set a good tone in spring training. That's the manager. Uh, when we first got there. He's the manager, yeah. He, yep. he brought me in when he became the manager, along with some of the other coaches. And, um, you know, I think the biggest thing with, with uh, like you said, the long season over you know, 162 games plus spring training plus the playoffs is being real consistent with your uh, with your attitude and your behavior and your routine and and those kind of things and not getting any too many ups and downs, the highs and lows of the season. You know, you can lose five, six, ten games in a row in the major leagues, and you know everybody's starting to come down on you or coming down on the guys or whatever. It, it happens. It happens. It happens quick too. But let, let's right. break. The, let's break the attitude down. I know you know about my score system. You know we mm-hmm. got five intangibles, and when they're all clicking, that's when the zone arrives. And they, you know every coach, if you can get talented guys in the zone, the the best thing to do is get out of the way and let let them do their thing. But it starts right. with the blueprint for the whole organization. You come in. You need a blueprint for your offense. 
let's talk about self-discipline because, Dave, you and this applies to corporations. This applies to a family. Uh, of how, how do you get everybody on the same page? Your team led the major leagues in batting average to 282, which is incredible. Uh, on base percentage, which is also incredible, which means that not you can not only hit, but you also have patience. What was the immediate plan? Did you have one, a blueprint offensively? Oh, definitely. I mean, I've had the same blueprint for quite a, quite a while, which was really developed when I was uh, with the Oakland A's years ago. And uh, it's misconstrued. It's misunderstood a lot of times. You know, a lot of people said, oh, you're teaching taking pitches and getting deep in counts. And that really never is the plan. The plan was always just to develop aggressive hitters that look for their pitch. And, and when they get their pitch, they can do damage on it. And that's the, the biggest thing we focus on is, you know, you have to understand what pitchers throw and uh, kind of things they, they like to do. You have to understand your own weaknesses. And then you've got to look for those mistakes. And we just coach up guys to look for mistakes and to take aggressive swings on, on good pitches. I think it's the most important thing. And, you know, pitchers throw under 50% strikes. So you have to have some patience. You have to know your strengths, your weaknesses. And, and I well, think that's, the, that's the one thing. basically a good ball to hit. The one thing I've noticed is that it wasn't patience in the way that most people think about patience. It was predatory selectivity. <laughs> it was work. It's not, you know, sometimes when you start talking about patience, you don't do anything. You know, you, right. I, I, you I call it selective. Yeah, I call it a, yeah, I call it aggressive under control is what I like to call it. You think you're thinking, you know, I would like guys to think swing on every pitch until it's, until they realize it's not their pitch. Now, it always doesn't work. I mean, there's times guys are swinging at balls in the dirt and they don't see the ball. I mean, there's so many other factors involved. There are. You know, a guy may, guy may be swinging well, but uh, maybe, you know, Altuve's up, you know, come back and say, man, I just don't see a slider. So, you know, there's, there's a lot of different factors involved. But the biggest thing is we want to hunt good pitches to hit. We want to be aggressive on our pitch. And, and if it's not there, then we take it. That's where the patience comes in. You know, well, I, it's like I, driving a it's like driving driving a car. You're driving a car. You can step on the gas. That's being aggressive, but you better use that brake too. Otherwise, you're gonna you're gonna drive off that bridge. Well, I, I like the word that you just said, hunt, hunting. Uh, you know, and and you're you could feel it in the World Series. You could feel it in the whole playoffs, and I know you felt it during the season. Your players were hunters, hunting for that pitch. Uh, let's talk about concentration, but that's really difficult to hold focus for that many games. In fact, the longest I've in my career I've ever seen uh, a baseball player, anyone stay in the zone was 33 days. That doesn't mean you can't get hits when you're not in the zone. Was there any time during this season where you felt for whatever the reason that maybe you lost a little focus collectively or did that happen? Uh, yeah, I think it does. I think with the, just the grind of the season, uh, it does at certain times. Guys will lose their concentration. Most of the, the self-discipline I look at as a routine, most guys that have a routine, they stick to it. They may change it a little bit from time to time just to break it up. But, you know, the, the focus and the concentration 
it's like you get home at five thirty in the morning and you got a you know a four you know five o'clock game and it's the focus you know maybe they didn't get any sleep and there's so like I said there's so many factors in all of this but it it doesn't last long and they get it back quick and uh, usually you know and you'll give that guy a day off at that time if you see things happening that's when you play one of your bench guys and let that guy have a little blow because it, it can get to be a grind there's no doubt about it. Do you, when you give someone a day off, do you, do you go to him first or you, does, does he just not see his name in the lineup? How do you go about that? Well, that comes from the manager and uh, AJ does a great job of, uh, he'll let guys know, like if it's, if it's one of your core guys that plays every day, if it's one of your everyday guys, like it's Correa or Altuve or Bregman or uh, Brian McCann, AJ will tell them the day before normally, Hey, you got tomorrow off. So, Hey, come in later. Don't do anything. Be, just be ready for the game. I might use you in the fifth, sixth, seventh inning to pitch it. But just, just, just take a day and, and refresh. You know. I, I think. So I think every, everybody needs those days. I think corporations uh, could do this. You know, they they see a salesperson that really is bringing in the money and really locked in and on the road and. Uh, giving that guy a day off. You don't see it too much in corporations. It seems like the big internationals just keep beating everybody. But, you know, eventually uh, you're not going to be in the zone and uh, you're going to start right. making mistakes and customers can feel it. But let's talk about uh, the playoff with the Yankees. You go into Yankee Stadium. You, you, you've, you know you know New York as well as anyone, being with the Mets. A lot of pressure. A lot of people at your locker with microphones. Uh, What happened? What's your take on what happened? I believe you lost those games uh, in New York, and the offense sputtered. Pitching was good, and you can't discount that. But what did you feel? What did you sense? Obviously, Uh, I think that was – yeah, that was a that was as loud and as tough as an atmosphere as I've ever seen. Wow! It was the, the fan, yeah the fans there. I mean, that's as loud. I've been at old Yankee Stadium and it would be incredibly loud. That's the first time I've been to the new Yankee Stadium where I don't want to say the guys were intimidated, but they were like taken back. Like they came, they'd come back after a game said. Man, I've never heard a crowd that loud. When I forget who hit a homer to to take the lead for the Yankees against us. And uh, they kept getting big hit after big hit. And uh, guys were coming back saying, wow, I can't even hear myself think out there. It was, it was incredible, but it helped our, it helped our guys grow. You know, they, they knew what, what were they, they were up against. And they, you know, we came back to our place and took care of business. It was, it was, what what was the mindset? it It was remarkable. What was the mindset on that plane ride back from New York? It, I think the mindset was, hey, our fans are going to be into it when we get back, and we're going to take care of business. I mean, there wasn't any negativity uh, at all on that plane right back, and I think that uh, we knew how loud our fans were going to be. The fans, it makes a big difference in a in a playoff situation because we did we played really well on the road this year. We had one of the best road records in baseball, but. Uh, when we got the Yankee Stadium, it was a whole different animal. You know, they had some good. They had very good pitching. Our pitchers did a great job. They were low-scoring games. They were tough games, and uh, I think just the the atmosphere 
I'm saying guys weren't used to it. We'd probably never been in that position before, but they learned quick. And then on the plane right back, uh, we were ready to go when, when the game started. We, we thought we were going to win a couple games. Let's talk about confidence, optimism. Let's talk about the Houston fan base. Oh, my goodness. I mean, every interview after the World Series was dedicated to the fans. Right. What was it like before the games, after the games, and what was it like just going to the grocery store, going to the drugstore, walking around Houston? Uh, what was the whole attitude of the Houston fan base? Well, I, I've never seen so many people with Houston Astros, uh, you know, T-shirts, hats, and it was like the whole community, especially after everything that went through with sure. the hurricane, Hurricane Harvey and, and all of that. There was so much damage here, and uh, I thought the Astros did a great job in the community. The players, I mean, went out into the community. And it was tough coming back because when we were gone, of course, everybody's family's here, and we couldn't get back. We couldn't land the plane, but we were on the road. Um, so we ended up going, uh, to Texas for one night and then we had to fly to, from, um, from Texas, from, uh, Dallas, Texas, we were supposed to play the Rangers. We ended up having to fly to Tampa to make those games up. And right. then we played three or four games in Tampa and then came back and we were able to play. It was ironically, we were playing the Mets here, uh, and huge crowds, and, uh, you know, everything the fans were going through, I mean, many people lost everything. It was, it was devastating. But they had incredible fundraisers, and they were, you know, helping out in every way they could. Uh, well, the your team, your team with, oh, my goodness, know. your team was so generous of money, so generous of time. Uh, it was really a love fest between uh, this great city and, and your team. Uh, that's where one plus one equals, uh, you know, a hundred, uh, right. You know, the zone, the zone is a purposeful calm. You and I've talked about the zone and the calm. Let's talk about relaxation, you know, having your jaw unhinged. Uh, let's, you know, I, I, I want to know the mindset or the relaxation of your team while you're being focused. Um, tell me about the relaxation and, which player on your offensive side of the team is the most relaxed, especially when the money's on the table? I, I, that's a great question because we have a lot of guys that are like that. We've got, uh, you know, we got a, we have a bunch of young, young players and they just love to go out and have fun. It's like they're in their backyard playing baseball. And probably the one that sticks out maybe the most is uh, George Springer, who is a, World Series MVP, and it, it shows you he struck out four times in the first game uh, of the World Series, and he came back to win the MVP, hitting like five homers, won uh, four games in a row. I think he had a homer. He had five homers total, uh, broke, the, broke the total base record, and this is from a guy who struck out four times the first game, and it was amazing because he wouldn't let anything bother him. He was fine. He was good. Uh, he's the kind of guy that's you know, dancing in the dugout and keeping everybody loose. And but we have several guys like that. Correa is real loose. He, he he loves playing. Really enjoys the game. Uh, Altuve. They're all. I mean, we have a good young group of guys. So the when you hit to the spot of where it's relaxation or enjoyment, 
then uh, these guys really love the game and they, they don't put a lot of pressure on themselves, although they know when the pressure's on. And uh, they're, for being so young, they handle it really well. How often during the season uh, do you have to take a player to the side and talk about whatever, not just hitting, but maybe you feel something else is going on? Uh, you know, you're aware of everything, and you're, I know you're in tune with the mindset of your team. How often do you spend time individually with guys outside of the batting cage? Well, I think that's where most of the work is done, not on the field batting cage, but inside the batting cage and <clears throat> indoors. That's where a lot of guys will come in and watch video, and they'll they'll just, you know, crash there for a little bit and, that's where we do a lot of us where we spend majority of our time is uh, within the clubhouse. There's, we have two big batting cages indoors and that's where we do a lot of our work. And uh, that's where you end up, you know, sitting there watching video with a guy and talking about whatever might be on their mind. So we do that almost, we do that on a constant, kind of constant basis of uh, depending on what's going on with the guy. But, uh, that's how you build the relationships with the players right there. You know, it, it, when you're in the zone, you're not in your normal 2,000 thoughts during the day. When you get locked in, uh, you have 30 40% less thoughts. And, in fact, you're not thinking. You're reacting. Um, that's a fine line for you as a coach uh, to know not just what to say, but – I think even more importantly, what not to say. What have you learned about that in your career? Well, I think, I think we give guys information, but you don't want to give them too much information. You know, there's so much information with the analytics and the, you know, you know what um, every pitcher throws in every count and every situation. And, but if guys have that on their mind, they can't, they can't perform. They're thinking about those things. So, after you get the work done, they do their preparation before the game. It's, hey, <clears throat> see the ball, hit the ball, what's your approach, get a good ball to hit, clear your mind, take a deep breath, you know, and, and compete. Because you've got to trust the work that you do. And uh, I think when they trust that work, when they, they have that routine, they've done their work early, once the game starts, they're able to go out there and, and just compete. That, that doesn't mean they don't want information during the game because I'm going to, I'll, I'll flip a little information if somebody's doing something a little bit different every now and then as far as an approach with a pitcher's taking or whatever. But for the most part, it's, um, you know, they've done their work. They've done their homework. Now, now let's go. Let's play the game. Spring training 2017 must seem, what, 10 years ago? <laughs> it's just, Boy, it seems, seems like a while back. <laughs> it seems like a while back. It's like, oh, my goodness, uh, I, I need a nap. You put in so much. But now, but, now spring, but now spring training is right around the corner, you know? Now it's around. You've an extra month. Yeah. Once, once, once Christmas happens, spring training is like the next, you know, it's a month away. When, when you were in spring training, which player made the most strides on a personal level to realize their full potential? Can, can you name anyone that and it doesn't have to be the most, which players just made great strides in 2017 from spring training oh, to the boy. world series? 
Well, I think the guy that had the most surprising year might have been Marlon Gonzalez. He he led our team at RBIs, hit over 20-some homers, hit close to 300, and close to 400 on base. And, and Marlon was a guy that probably had a, I don't know, 240, 250 lifetime batting average. So he had a he had a big year for us. And it was I don't want to say out of nowhere because you knew he had the talent, but he definitely made some adjustments that that, that helped his year. You know, and the thing about our team is guys just have, because they're young and because they're talented, they keep getting better. You know, George Springer had a tremendous year this year, over thirty some homers. Jose Altuve led the team in hitting. Uh, maybe the he may be the MVP of the, of the American League. Carlos Correa, I think Carlos would have hit 40 homers in, the, in that MVP conversation if he wouldn't have gotten hurt. He hurt his, uh, got hurt during the year, his thumb, and missed like a month and a half or so. Tell me about the um, Altuve three-home run game. That was I, I've been uh, I, I've been with some guys. I've coached uh, several guys to hit four home runs in one game. It's one of those oh, my goodness, what's going on? But tell me about that game, and did you say anything, or was that one of those games where, all right, I don't need to say anything. I just need to stay out of the way. How how did you go about that day? No, what a great game. No, he was so locked in that day. I mean, he was seeing the ball well. He was – nothing was fast. Everything was slow for him. And he was just – he wasn't missing, you know. He was on everything. So, I mean, it happened so fast. He couldn't believe it either. Did you sense it in, in batting uh, practice? Not really. I mean, he's always kind of the same. Uh, he does the same routine. He doesn't do anything different. I th- he was just so locked in, you know. He was so into the zone. It was like, there was, there was you know, he was so focused that uh, it was just one of those things. And he got balls to hit and he elevated them and got them up in the air. And, you know, the rest was history. But he's that, he's that kind of hitter that, it can happen at any time. He can get so hot that, you know, there'll be a stretch of games, maybe a 10-game stretch where he, he'll he'll make four or five outs. I mean, he, he's remarkable. He is really a great hitter. Well, I, I have to also not only give you congratulations, you've led the greatest offense uh, that I've seen almost ever. Definitely the greatest offense this year. Uh, kudos to you. I'm excited. You got a two, uh, two-year extension. You got a new contract. Uh, congratulations on that. I'm rooting for back-to-back, and, and I'm rooting for your guys. Dave, you, you've been um, – you're such a student of the game uh, and very knowledgeable. I, I know you don't always get the credit, uh, and, and the players obviously let they play, but I know the time, the energy – the effort that you put into it. I, I got to tell you, my hat is off to you. I'm very proud of you. And uh, I, I'm, I'm really glad to call you my friend. And uh, you definitely got these guys in the zone. So all my best. And uh, uh, I'll see you in spring training. Sounds good, Jim. I'm looking forward to it. My favorite part of the show, or one of my favorite parts, This is where you get access to world-class coaching, just like some of the top athletes, entertainers, and titans of industry in the United States and, you know, around the world. Ask Jim at JimFannon.com. It's AskJim at JimFannon.com. Man, this is is an interesting team question. Hey, Jim, I work in an an emergency room where we never have any idea what's going to come through the door. How do I keep my team in the zone and help them out when we 
could sometimes get more than we think we can handle? Well, that's a great question, but I have a great answer because my daughter, Colby, works in an emergency room as an RN, a trauma center nurse. The first thing is they're extremely well-trained. Everybody knows what they need to do. Uh, They are prepared typically, but not always. But when an emergency comes in, they usually have advance notice of what the challenge is, and they're already prepped. Sometimes, though, they get ambushed uh, with a walk-in with no advance notice. In fact, my daughter said some guy came in with an arrow stuck through his head. This is in Manhattan. I'm like, what? Can you imagine? Only in Manhattan. I was going to say, we'll never know that backstory, I'm sure. There there is a backstory, but he walked in, you know, and it was like, (laughs) you know, he thought it was one of those uh, Steve Martin arrows, uh, fake arrows through the head, a real arrow. Uh, but they're trained to be calm, getting their breathing. This is the, the emergency room worker. Get their breathing down to six to eight. Lock in on the challenge, the immediate challenge, especially if it's life-threatening. Uh, everyone else is on alert. One person is really assessing the situation, prepping for the doctor. They have a plan in place. And I, I got to tell you, emergency room, Emergency room workers, they are definitely in the zone, and it is contagious. And my daughter said many times, the shift goes by so fast sometimes, and they've taken in so many different people, but uh, those are special people. How do they do it? They're prepared. They're ready to make swift adjustments to the circumstance or the condition that they're going to see. and that they know how to pass it off to the doctor who's a specialist on whatever uh, the affliction, the injury, or the ailment might be. So you see the line out the door. I'm just putting my, myself in the, the shoes of somebody like this. The first thing you do is calm yourself so that you can do your job. Yeah, I, I think uh, an emergency room worker, a first responder, uh, a fireman, a policeman, uh, they're trained to find the zone, find the purposeful calm. Uh, they also want to calm down uh, the patient or the victim uh, of the situation. Uh, if I'm calm and I can talk in a low but firm voice, I can get you calm. And if I can get you calm, I'll get your uh, vital, uh, you know, your vital signs. Yeah. Uh, hopefully, you're breathing lower. Get a little blood flow. Flow. I've got to calm you down uh, because you're in a trauma center. <laughs> There's trauma. <laughs> yeah. And it's. Uh, that's another example of the zone being contagious. The it really is. Zone, and it and that's, that's what a first responder really is great at. Uh, this horrible uh, church massacre that happened in Texas, the first responders, that's where they were. They were in that zone. And of course, you know, the challenge for first responders and emergency room workers is how do I turn that zone off uh, and just go about my life normally? And that is a challenge for some. There's no question about it. Uh, but my experience uh, being around hospital, hospitals a lot and helping my daughter, uh, they're pretty masterful. So we're recording this a little early, actually. November 8th is the, the day of this recording. This is a, a really 
important day in your life. And I want to go ahead and get into The Blueprint, which is the book that comes out here February 6th, 2018. You can pre-order it right now at Amazon.com. You can search Jim Fannin, F-A-N-N-I-N, The Blueprint. November writes, um, yeah, every year. It's it's a- Every year. Every year. And um, uh, it's a, a special time for me. It really changed my life. Uh, it set me on a path that I'm on now and continue on. Yes, it's very special. No bad days, none. Reading from The Blueprint, available right now for pre-order at Amazon.com. Chapter 34, by the way. Having a life with zero bad days is a choice. Eliminating these days will clear the way for the blueprint to swiftly manifest. Obviously, negative things happen to good people. We can have a personal loss and a loved one surprising death. This has happened to me on five occasions. It's not pleasant. My first major life challenge was the death of my best friend, Brian Judd. He was the brother of Naomi Judd, the Grammy award-winning mom to the mother-daughter duo, the Judds. Brian and I did everything together. We played and watched sports, walked in the woods, talked about girls, uh, played practical jokes, and laughed every day. He was the funniest person I've ever known. He always cracked me up. One day, Brian was walking with me as I delivered newspapers door to door. After 20 minutes, he began to complain about a swollen node under his arm. Ironically, I had a lump under my arm. We both became concerned and told our parents. After doctor's visits, we received the biopsy news. Brian was diagnosed with Hodgkin's lymphoma, known as Hodgkin's, also known as Hodgkin's disease, a type of cancer that develops uh, from cells in the lymphatic system, part of the immune system, called uh, lymphocytes. Lymphocytes are a type of white blood cell that help the body fight infections. Although my test came back negative, Brian's results devastated me. Brian's cancer had began to ravage his body. From chemotherapy, his hair fell out. He lost considerable weight. He looked sick. Even though his diagnosis was critical, his mood and overall mindset remained upbeat. He would go to the end of his life as an upbeat and positive as any person could be. He was not a victim or a judge. I never heard him complain. Brian Judd was a champion. He was my hero. The day he died was the worst day of my life. I was physically sick. I couldn't eat. It all seemed surreal. Somehow, I felt Brian reach out to me. Never have a bad day again. Was this eerily delivered message real or in my imagination? At that moment, I knew how physically and emotionally this felt was a choice. Yes, I was extremely sad. Yes, I cried uncontrollably. However, this thought instantly popped into my mind of never having a bad day was profound and surprisingly comforting. On November 8th, 1965, I pledged to honor my best friend by never having a bad day again. Over 20,000 days, over 50 years later, with the death of parents and grandparents, business disappointments, family woes, physical illness and injury and other maladies, no bad days have arrived. None. It took a tragedy to set my course of extreme positivity. I hope that that will not happen in order for you to make this choice. You and I both have free will. This is our ultimate gift, our prized possession. Please use it wisely and use it often for improving the quality of your life. Wow. Uh, just reliving that as, as you as you read that from the book, uh, conjured up those feelings. This guy cracked me up every single day. Laughed, laughed, laughed. We listened to music. Uh, 15 years old, 
And uh, funniest person I ever met, the most positive person I've ever met in my life. Uh, he, he's the uncle of Ashley Judd, uh, also the actress, yeah. the great actress. And um, boy, I made that commitment. I made that pledge, and um, it's been an everyday thing for me. Um, we have a choice. I hope that no one has a tragedy that pushes you into this mindset. You, you've got free will. Just commit. Commit. I, 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 you will not be disappointed. The rewards will be myriad. You'll have so many. So uh, on a positive note, and it is a positive note, uh, extreme positivity is yours for the taking. So if you want to reach your full potential, this is one of the first steps. And I, I think it's one of the, Seth, one of the toughest things in anybody's life to be successful, commitment. You want to lose weight? Here's the blueprint on how to lose weight. You want to make a lot of money? Here's the blueprint on how to make a lot of money. But if you don't commit to the blueprint, uh, the blueprint will never be manifested. And speaking of concentration, this might be one of the five things that you need as we close this thing out. We always stop by the Zone Cafe because you're going to need something as you get back into your day, your week, your month of extreme positivity. Well, this is uh, the Zone Cafe is a place where you can uh, check your score level. Uh, there's five ingredients. There's five meals. And you can come in and partake uh, of any one of those. But, Seth, you can only choose one. You can go around the block, come back to the drive up and get something else. You can come back next week and order something else. But right now, everyone listening, you're driving up to the window of the Zone Cafe. You can order a giant plate of self-discipline. I mean commitment and purpose and intention, but a blueprint well-defined with strategy and tactics. You can have that. And that is a stumbling block for a lot of people. And I think a lot of people need to have a giant plate of self-discipline. But maybe, maybe today you need a bucket of concentration, the ability to put on blinders, single-minded, focused on the task at hand. No interruptions, no distractions in the moment. But maybe that's not what you need. Maybe right now the missing link for you to go to that next level to re-up your relationship, to take your marriage to another level, or to take your company to the no, uh, another level, maybe you need a slab of optimism, some confidence, some belief, some expectancy, that that plan will be manifested. But as you also know, sometimes you can have too much self-discipline. Maybe you need to have some offset of a little relaxation, a big, giant, cool drink of relaxation, where you get a little serotonin into the bloodstream, you know, a little calm, a little peace, uh, jaw unhinged, just cool like a palm tree in a hurricane. Do you need relaxation or do you need some passion with enjoyment? Maybe you need uh, a giant bag of that, some enjoyment where you laugh a little bit more, skip a little bit in your day, always have on a smile. So what do you need, Seth? What what do you need this week? This week for me has to be concentration. And, I, you know, I have a little bit of a unique situation going on that I run a business. And another part of my life that I really love is I'm a film and TV critic. 
today, two movies. Like, I've actually had two advanced screenings. That's a lot of fun, right? That's that fun. That means for the next two days, and, you know, I, I can't control when these things happen. For the next two days, man, I've really got to be in business mode, really in concentration uh, as I, you know, shift, it, shift my arenas. Concentration. That's uh, narrowing your focus uh, with concentration. Uh, less is definitely more. Get in the zone, Seth. Concentration is going to do it. So right now, listening, what do you need? What do you need to take your life to the next level? What do you need to help your son or daughter go to their next level? What do you need in your company? Who do you need to lead to their next level? And what is their missing link? Don't forget to go back and uh, take everybody mentally to your own zone cafe of your team, your family. You can rate anyone you want. And when you find out that weak link, that missing link, well, that's what you're going to give them a, a big dose of. It's time to get in the zone, everybody. Seth and I both wish you an amazing zone week. Start a zone epidemic. It's contagious. Infect everybody you meet. A big smile, a lot of confidence. Get everybody you know in the zone. And we'll catch you back here next week as we continue to help you perform in all the arenas of your life. Be in the zone, everybody. Until next week. Bye. I'm Jerry Petock, CEO of Radio Influence. I just wanted to take a quick moment to say thank you for downloading and subscribing to this podcast. There are a lot of people behind the scenes here at Radio Influence that work hard to keep you entertained day in and day out. If you'd like to get involved and advertise on this program, or if you have some show ideas that you'd like to see us add to the Radio Influence family, please email us at contact at radioinfluence.com. We all have crazy schedules, so the fact that you took time out of your busy day to let us entertain you for a while means a lot. Without you, the listeners, we wouldn't exist. So thank you again for downloading and subscribing to this show. Don't forget to check out RadioInfluence.com to see what other shows we also have to offer. All of Radio Influence's programming can be found on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn Radio, Google Play, and of course, RadioInfluence.com. Radio Influence.